we go. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Eric. I am so glad to be with you today. A warm welcome to every one of you who are in the room or coming into the room right now, uh, as well as those of you that are joining us online or maybe even checking us out a little bit later on in the week. It is so good to be together. Rain, shine, snow, whatever the temperature is out. Love just gathering with our Centerway family. So what I'm going to do is go through some information for all of us here today. For those of you that may be online, a lot of this stuff is pertinent, but some of it may not be accessible the way that I say it. Uh, but many of these things can actually happen through our website. So keep that in mind. First, we do want to welcome any guests that may be in the room today. We are happy to serve you any way that we can. One of the ways that we hope to serve uh, is through getting your information we would love for you to share your information with us so that we can follow up with you, get feedback from you, and figure out ways that we could serve you and invest in your life. Uh, anyone, not just guests, can update their info and be added to the email list as well, so keep that in mind. There's actually two ways to share uh, or update your information, first of which is through an info card that you can uh, access electronically through the Uversion app. The instructions uh, to access that are up on the screen right now. The app is also useful uh, during the gathering to follow along and take notes uh, on the, the message, even give online if you'd like to. And there are other ways to give as well, including going to the Give tab of our website or via the offering box in the back. Now, if you have questions, if you do have feedback, ideas on uh, how we can uh, improve what we're doing uh, or serve you in any way or other ways that um, uh, we can kind of engage with you, uh, we would love for you uh, to email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. If you need prayer for anything, that's a, a great way to connect with us. There are other ways to connect and engage throughout the week, not just through the email, but we uh, offer wallpapers for uh, your phones or your tablet. It's the Spotify playlist of all the songs that you hear and that we're gonna uh, be singing later on, uh, social media, of course, and then we do have Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that come out to your inbox. Uh, you can visit the messages page of the website to access these resources and even more. You can also take next steps if you're looking for ways to grow. This isn't just an add-on that we do as a church. This is something central to what we believe. We believe that every person that can hear my voice right now uh, has another step that they can take in their spiritual journey. No matter if you're just starting off or if you're a lifetime follower of Jesus, there's another step that you can take. We want to help you discover that step and find out what's next. Uh, so if you're looking for ways to grow, to serve, to be spiritually coached, if you haven't been water baptized and you're interested uh, in that, uh, or becoming a Centerway steward, steward, excuse me, you can check out that Next Steps uh, booth in the lobby after our gathering or the Next Steps tab of our website. Now, there are two important things to note that are unique to this week. Uh, first of which is our annual vision meeting will be Wednesday, March 23rd. Not this week, but the following week, March 23rd at 7 o'clock right here at Willowbrook. Now, uh, this gathering is geared towards stewards, but everyone is welcome to come and to check it out. Details are on the calendar page of our website. Also, uh, on the calendar page, parents and students, details for the upcoming game night are also on that page as well. That's, we're excited about that. Uh, so here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Kelly's going to come and read scripture for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. Then we'll respond to the word uh, by singing. Can we bow our heads, hearts, just ask God's blessing on today? 
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we've entered into this place with our own unique stories of your grace and of your faithfulness, Lord. Father, uh, we are people that have noticed manna uh, everywhere we've gone, Lord God, your provision, your goodness in our lives. And Father, some of us have walked into this place uh, needing a reminder of that goodness, needing a reminder of that faithfulness. And I pray right now, Lord God, that you would meet us where we're at. Like I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see what you're up to in our world ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us, Lord God, and just let our hearts be receptive uh, to your spirit's move and prompting. We pray it today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hello, Center Way. My name is Kelly. We will be reading Ephesians, let me see, Ephesians 3, 8 through 13. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You put it right there. Oh, thanks, Kelly. It's so great uh, to be with you all today. Um, we're continuing in the series, Walk With Me. And uh, the message specifically is entitled uh, Unified Today. So walk with me, Unified. And um, as we kind of continue this series, I want to start off with a, with a story that harkens back to my collegiate days. Um, as I've mentioned in the past, if you've been with us any amount of time, um, I had the opportunity to play baseball in college. And so I had a, a friend that um, came in one night all excited and was like, hey, uh, I set up a, uh, a pitching machine in an abandoned building in the back of campus. It's awesome. You guys got to come. And we're like, what do you mean? It's like, it's just, we can go there and we can just hit all hours of the night if we want. We can start at like 10 o'clock at night is the last time that kind of security sweeps that area. And then we can just sit there and, and hit balls all night long. And um, that might not sound fun to you, but it was super exciting to us. And so it was somewhere around, I don't remember, 10, 11 o'clock at night or something. We made our way to the back of campus and um, the door was open. It wasn't like we broke in or anything like that, um, which obviously is troubling that they left an abandoned building open, but they did. And uh, we, we go in, and as we walk in, it is just pitch black, and it's kind of this ominous, you know, feeling that's like echoing, and uh, the guy's like, all right, I'll go turn on the lights. I set up some lights. Hang on. And so he kind of scampers away, and we're sort of like in that moment where there's moonlight coming in through some of the windows, but we're kind of trying to like feel our way around, and uh, Somebody's like, oh, I think I can see. I can see pretty well. And so he just starts walking forward, and all of a sudden he starts yelling. And we're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? He's like, oh, I fell down. I fell down. They're like, oh, dude, are you all right? And all of a sudden, one after one, we're tripping over things. Things are falling. There's noises being made. And people are like, get off me, man. What are you doing on top of me? Like, I don't know. And so it, it was as I'm talking about it, I'm kind of reliving it, so it's not quite as funny, um, but I think you'll understand why I'm laughing, because finally, uh, the guy gets to the lights, and he plugs it in, and all of a sudden, it lights up that we're actually in an old pool house, 
And so there's an in-ground pool right in front of us. <laughs> and all of us, one at a time, have fallen on top of each other into this in-ground pool on the shallow side. Thank God, or this would be probably a way different story. Um, the thing that was really cool about it is the pitching machine was in the pool. He forgot to tell us that. And it was awesome, by the way, uh, because we were having pitches come from like the deep end. And we're just cranking them. It was so fun. But in either case, um, it was interesting because uh, everybody, one after another, just fell on top of each other into this in-ground, abandoned, dry pool. I guess I probably should have said that, right? It's dry. And if you haven't connected those dots, like, why don't they float? What's wrong with these kids? Um, yeah. The reason I tell the story uh, is because I want us to consider a question as we move into the text today. And the question is this. What is it about darkness that is so disorienting? What is it about darkness that is so disorienting? Now, the answer to this question might seem like common sense, but there's actually a couple more layers that um, I think are not quite as obvious. I want to kind of submit to you that darkness is so disorienting because in darkness, we lack clarity and perspective. That's not rocket science, right? That's kind of the common knowledge part. In darkness, we lack clarity and perspective. But ultimately, there's another layer. Ultimately, that disorientation becomes dangerous because of our overconfidence. It becomes dangerous because of our overconfidence. For some reason, humanity believes that their perspective is the accurate one, that they see the world accurately. And so because their perspective is the accurate one, then they, they act. They act based on what it is that they believe they know. Of course, that's, that's none of us here, right? I mean, that's those other people. <laughs> that's none of us. We're, we're very clear in our thought and very rational about what it is that we think. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying in concept is that darkness is disorienting because we think that it isn't. Think about that for a second. Darkness is disorienting because we think that it isn't. At some point, we as humans think we see enough. We see enough. And so we move forward and all of a sudden there's a huge ginormous pit in front of us that we didn't see at all. And now you might sit there and say, well, you know, Claude, I'm not sure that lines up with scripture. You know, you might be thinking that scripture challenges us to live by faith and not by sight, right? So get this, darkness or our inability to see isn't actually the problem. Because I would say we do need to live by faith, not by sight. Darkness, our inability to see, isn't the problem. The problem is what we trust. The problem is in what we trust. In those moments, we trust ourselves. We trust others. We trust those things over the gospel. And so we act. In other words, a life lived in line with the gospel is a focused and purposeful one, regardless of the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's the clarity we need. That's the perspective that we need. And today's text is revealing the mystery and wisdom of God. As Christians, for those of us that are, and I know that we have a wide range of people in the room that may not consider themselves Christ followers, as well as those that are watching or listening later on. And uh, so I want to speak just for a moment to Christians specifically, because I believe as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we romanticize and at times obsess over the will of God. I just want God's will. If I just knew God's will, then everything would be all right. We obsess over this idea of God's will. The thing is, our metrics are often wrong. 
in trying to measure what God's will is. And so we're walking and living with varying amounts of disorientation. That's a disturbing thought, isn't it? <laughs> we're making decisions of our lives based on the will of God, but our metrics are thrown off. So just bear with me for a second. I touched a little bit on this last week. If the litmus test of God's will is whatever is easy, whatever's fair, whatever's convenient, or whatever's most prosperous, like, hey, man, th this right here, this is easy, right? So it must be God's will. This is going to make me a lot of money, so it must be God's will. This is super convenient, so it must be God's will. If that is our litmus test of God's will, then Jesus would have never gone to the cross. And Paul certainly wouldn't be sitting in a prison writing the Ephesians. They would have avoided those things, right? Because it would have been too hard. It would have been too difficult. God's will can't be harmful. It can't be painful. Sometimes God's will is hard. See, if those metrics are how we gain clarity of God's will, then really we lack perspective. And we'll forever be searching for joy and fulfillment, but we'll be coming up short and all the while wonder why. Why is it that I just can't find joy? Why can't I find the fulfillment I'm looking for? You want to know how to find God's will? It's actually a simple question. You're not going to like it. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> You're not going to like it, but it's an easy question. We overcomplicate something that's actually very simple in Scripture. Are you ready for it? Now that I've created enough suspense? If you want to know God's will, ask this simple question. Will this make disciples of Jesus? Will this make disciples of Jesus? You're like, oh, that's not super exciting. You see, as Christ followers, we're called to live on mission. At the end of Matthew, there's this section of scripture called the Great Commission. Jesus had just risen from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he turns and he looks at his disciples. And at this point in his life, of course, he could have said like, hey, you know, I'm God. I am the Messiah, and so I want you to do these three things as I leave. <laughs> or I want you to do these 10 things. Or even, I mean, my goodness, he's the Messiah. He just rose from the dead. He could have looked at them and said, somebody get a pen. I'm going to give you 100 things. If you do these 100 things, we're good. But he doesn't do that. One thing. He turns to his disciples and he says one thing. He says, as you are going, you see, familiar to us is go and make disciples, but going is actually a participle. Go is not the command, it's a participle. So it means as you are going, what? The command is make. So the command that God gives is make. Make what? Make disciples. So Jesus has just clarified that he is in fact the son of God. He gives one command, make disciples. And so what I wanna ask you, Christ follower, what are you doing with the one thing Jesus asked of us? Are you making disciples? Here's the startling response. Yes. You are. The question is, are you making disciples of Jesus? You're discipling people. We talked about this last week. That which you prioritize in your life, you're discipling your children in what it is that you direct them towards, what it is that you elevate above all things. Listen, we gotta rearrange our schedule. Why? Because this is most important. You're discipling them in that. And I know we're all guilty of it. Every single one of us in the room, no one's excluded. It's the tension of the humanity that we live in. So it's not a question of whether or not you're discipling them. It's whether or not you're discipling disciples of Jesus. Will this make disciples of Jesus? Now, I'm not trying to say this question is like some type of spiritual robot. Like, 
this killjoy that kids are like, Mom, Dad, can we have ice cream? Well, Meredith, will that make disciples of Jesus? (laughs) Sorry, kids, no ice cream for you. The Lord won't permit it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about larger decisions where we're seeking the will of God. However, I want to say this. I think that's connected. As ridiculous and absurd as that, that example is, it's connected. If we want to disciple our kids, I think it becomes real easy in that moment to say, yeah, you know what? We can get ice cream. And the reason why is because we like to have fun as a family and God has provided extra to us. And so we're going to walk in that benefit and that blessing and we're going to have some ice cream. You know, why not? Why not talk about God's provision in our lives? Why not sit around the table with the ice cream cone and ask them spiritual questions or take that moment to be a disciple-making moment? So is that discipling? Yeah, I think it could. I'm not saying that it has to be awkward or, or rigid where people are like, yeah, you don't want to hang out with my parents. Why? Because all they talk about is discipling Jesus, making disciples of Jesus. I'm talking about putting handles on something that is a concept. Like sometimes we talk about this idea of make disciples, but how do we put a handle on that? I'm going to give you some examples. Maybe you're trying to decipher the will of God and whether or not you buy a bigger house. And I think sometimes when it comes to things in this world, it's like almost like this guilt thing is attached to it. It's like, I mean, there are people dying in the world. There's people hungry in the world. Like there's terrible things happening. I don't know that I should get nicer to the other extreme of like, we should always get nicer because God loves us and he just gives us stuff. And that's what Christianity is, like this huge, amazing blessing. (laughs) So where is the reality of what it looks like to to put decision-making of the will of God through making disciples? What if you considered, hey, do we want a bigger house? Because if we get a bigger house, we can fill it with more people that can find a place of safety and a place of peace, a place of belonging. We need a larger gathering space so that people without hope can come to this place and we can actually reveal the love and peace of Christ into their life. If that's the case, my gosh, then get a larger house, right? So what is the decision-making process? You might say, hey, should I take this job? It's gonna give me more money. And everyone out in the world would be like, take the more money, right? It's a no-brainer. We want more money. But what if the decision, when you consider making more disciples... You consider, what if I take this job and get more money so that I can flood the church with resources and I can personally meet the needs of others in Jesus' name? I'm gonna take this promotion not so it fills up my bank account bigger so I have larger and nicer, but because I wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus in a practical way. It's an entirely different perspective. It's a totally different decision-making grid. Some of us might be in the room, and I know one of the largest questions that I had continually about the will of God was, who should I marry? Who should I marry? Oh my gosh, I'm going to, should I marry? I don't know. And then finally I tricked this girl. (laughs) Too late. Can't change your mind now. (laughs) She should have been praying more. No. (laughs) You chose poorly. Um, No, but we think, listen, who are you going to marry? Who are you going to marry? And we think about what's God's will for my life? What's my, but really the question shouldn't be that. It should be attached to living on mission with someone to make disciples. Who is it that God is calling me to live on mission with to make disciples? And maybe it's that God has called you to live on mission yourself in this season to make disciples. You see, our decision-making grid is convoluted by the worries and the cares of this world. How is it that a decision-making process for something is the same for an irreligious person as it is for a Christian? It should not be. 
Why would you get a Christ follower and an irreligious person, put them together and say, want a bigger house? And they both go, yeah. Want more money? Yeah. Want to get married? Of course. You know, like there should be a difference, an inherent difference. You see, we in our flesh, we twist these things to serve us. It's our humanity. And then we call them God's will when it's really just us making ourselves more comfortable in the darkness as we stumble around. (laughs) That's devastating. We call things the will of God when it's really just us making ourselves more comfortable in the darkness as we stumble around. Consider the implications of that. Consider what it is that you're communicating to your spheres of influence, to your, to your children, to your friends, to your family, to your brothers, your sisters, your parents, what it is that you're prioritizing. It's an easy trap to fall victim to, and it's why we need community. Someone to turn the light of the gospel on. To be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys think you see, but you're falling on top of each other into an in-ground pool imbeciles. Like at what point does one of you say, I'm not going to move forward until he turns the lights on. We need somebody to turn the light of the gospel on. You see, if your life has purpose, then you can be content in prison for the gospel. Think about that. Paul has gospel perspective He's telling us to walk unified so we can gain gospel perspective. He's not writing the Ephesians and saying, dear church in Ephesus, I have been wrongly imprisoned. Get the brothers and the sisters. March on Rome. Like, he doesn't do that. But in our flesh, that's what we would do. Why? Because this is a wrong. But he's not doing that. He's realizing, listen, this is part of God's will. I'm making disciples. And so he finds contentment in prison. That's a different decision-making grid than the world around us. We have to have the gospel disrupt every aspect of our lives. We need to be unified. He's telling us, Paul has a gospel perspective and he's telling us to walk unified so we can gain gospel perspective. Would you walk with me? Would you walk with me as we learn to follow Jesus together? Would you dream with me about what God wants to do, what God wants to do in this and surrounding communities, the potential, the redemptive potential, if people thought through the process of the redemptive work of the gospel and set the cares and worries aside of the world and said, okay, Lord, what it is that you want me to do? Verses eight and nine say this, the apostle Paul is writing. He says to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul's directing us to consider creation. You know, Genesis 1 through 3 says that we were created to live in harmony. That when we were created, we were created to live together and then sin fractured that. And it brought division and death. But in Christ, sin and death are conquered. How would the world ever see this? The answer is actually in the next verse. The next verse, verse 10 says this. So that through, hear this, the church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
Paul directs us in this moment to consider that maybe, just maybe, people will see the redemptive work of the cross because of the church, through the church. Manifold wisdom, manifold. In Greek, manifold is where we get the, the English word polygon. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Yeah, it's where we get the English word polygon. It means multi-sided, multi-sided or intricate wisdom. So what Paul's talking about is this multi-sided, this intricate wisdom of God is revealed in the church. That something very profound and, and powerful is being revealed here in verse 10. It's the beautiful complexity of Christian community. Gospel-centered, unified community. God's wisdom is revealed through the mystery of the church. A group of natural-born enemies. More so then than today, I would hope. But a group of, of natural-born enemies, they have disagreements on every possible thing in their life. Every possible thing. And yet they come together, unified by the cross. A divine move of grace and love that's counterintuitive. It goes against everything that makes sense to us in humanity. Listen, we need to consider the context as we've been talking in previous weeks. Equality and unity between Jews and Gentiles was beyond comprehension. Like it simply would never happen. Culturally, they were so different and they were so aggressive towards one another. And even in their separate communities, they had tears of acknowledgement and worth. So the idea of unity and togetherness beyond human comprehension. So much so that not only humans would take notice, but get this, Paul says in the verse, made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Angelic beings are struck by the multi-sided, intricate wisdom of God on display in this new community called the church. The heavenlies are in awe. They're blown away. It's a mystery of God that's revealed in this moment in history. Prior to Christ's coming, there was no such thing as the organized church in the way that we understand it today. And so literally the heavenlies are in awe of like, whoa, the cross just unified all of humanity. They're in awe of God's idea, the church. Unity is evidence of the grace of God. It's evidence of the grace of God. One commentator says that Paul is revealing that the gospel brings Jews and Gentiles together in the church, shows the power of the gospel to heal racial divides. Nothing else had ever done that. It was just beyond their comprehension. It couldn't happen. As well as class divisions. Get this, the church is tangible evidence that the power of sin has been broken. Man, the local church, it's God's idea. In a very real way, gospel-centered community is a taste of heaven. It's a taste of heaven. It's a peek back at creation of who we were intended to be. The church, when functioning as God intended, is a glimpse of the unity that we were created to live in. Our prayer every week in our huddle, those people that are, are serving on a given Sunday, we gather in the lobby and we pray together after we have a, a time to refocus our hearts and minds. In our huddle before our gathering, it's that we pray that people of all walks of life would come to this place and have an encounter with the living God. 
to be forever changed. That as you leave this, as you come into this place, the, the worries and the cares of this world would be left at the door. That you would have an encounter with the living God to change this, to leave this place changed forever. That this gathering would be a safe refuge where because of the gospel of grace, we'd simultaneously be convicted of our sins and experience the grace of God that we'd feel the smile of heaven on us as we worship in unity and then we'd link arms and go out on mission to make disciples. That's what it's about. That's what the local church is supposed to be. To come to a place and to, to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit about the areas of our life that are out of alignment. To repent and to experience the grace of God and feel the smile of heaven as we worship the only one worthy of our praise and then link arms and live on mission to make disciples. The church isn't just fellowship. It's a new society where gospel perspective is gained because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verses 11 and 12 go on and say, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through what? Our faith in him. The final prepositional phrase at the end of verse 11, realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, is actually a pretty powerful thing because it makes very clear uh, some, some things that might have been up for grabs at, the point, at that point. First, it says his name. His name is Jesus. And the reason why it communicates Jesus is because it's articulating, listen, the person, Jesus, is what? His title is Christ, which only had one explanation. It was the Messiah the son of God. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, it was realized in the Messiah, the person you know as Jesus, who is our Lord. Our Lord is a personal relationship, a personal connection with God. What Paul is summing up in that final prepositional phrase is to communicate, listen, the, the person that you know as Jesus was a God man, a God man that was the son of God, the Messiah. And because of what he did on the cross, you can now have a personal relationship with God. When I was uh, in high school, the high school I went to, um, it was broken up into a senior high and a junior high, and then there was a middle school. But the, for today's conversation, the high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, and then there was a junior high that was 9th and 8th grade, and they were on the same campus. So sometimes there would be 9th graders that would take classes up at the high school, and so they would walk up. And um, I had a, a friend that would walk up as a 9th grader, and so I was in 10th grade, and there were three bays of lunches that we had in this uh, lunchroom. And we would all sit at this huge table. And so there was a group of us sitting together and this uh, ninth grader would walk up and, and join us for lunch. And uh, it was so much fun. Uh, I just have a lot of fun and fond memories of our lunch times. Uh, but one time in particular, we would be talking about, you know, just different situations in life. And most of us around the table, if not all of us, I can't quite remember, were athletes. And so one of the kids was uh, a lacrosse player. Now, where I come from, lacrosse was a really big deal. Um, and has since, you know, waned a little bit. It's still a big deal, but not as big of a deal as it was when um, I was growing up there. And so um, way back in the 90s, wow, yeah, it was crazy, yeah. You had to turn your TV like this. It was nuts, the things that happened. This right here, this means something. <laughs> means you're on a phone, yeah, ask your parents. Anyway, in the 90s, it was very... 
uh, unheard of that you would have like a personal trainer for a sport. It was very rare. Um, but this kid had a, had a personal trainer uh, for lacrosse. His dad was a really big deal in another local school uh, uh, as a lacrosse player. And so he wanted his son to be an ultimate lacrosse player. And so he went to all different types of clubs. He would travel back before anybody was traveling for any of that stuff. And he was just immersed in it. It was his life. And so he was talking about how nervous he was because it was JV tryouts and he had to make it. There's like no question. Like he has to make it. I've got to make it. And, um, like, dude, you're going to make it. Like, I don't know anybody else that could be more prepared to make a lacrosse team than you. You'll be fine. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm pretty nervous. It's going to be a tough team and blah, 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 all this stuff. And um, so my ninth grade friend goes, lacrosse, huh? Never tried that. I'll try out with you. And he's like, what? And he goes, I'll try out with you. He goes, I'm not asking you to try out with me. He's like, I don't care. It'd be fun. He's like, dude, you can't just try out. He's like, why not? He goes, okay, well, I guess you can, but like, what if you make it? He's like, I don't know, it'll be cool. I'll be on the cross team. He's like, you've never even tried it. He goes, yeah, I know. And so here's this kid that <laughs> never tried playing lacrosse and they both went out uh, for the lacrosse team. And um, we're sitting at lunch. I don't remember how many weeks later, um, but my friend was absolutely devastated. Uh, neither of them made the team. For one, it was not a shocker. Uh, he, uh, he's like, dude, they hit you with sticks there. I'm like, yeah, we know. He's like, no, like for real, like they wail on you. I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, it was crazy. Uh, so he was like, you know, hey, did you drive for the lacrosse team? Oh yeah, I think that was Friday or maybe it was Tuesday. I don't remember. Like that's how he perceived that entire experience. My other friend was devastated. His world was upended. His father was furious his parents were going to meet with the coach. He was devastated. He was literally at the end of himself. I want to tell you, Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I know that that text, oftentimes we connect to money, but it's actually more than money. It means investment. It means where you invest your time, your energy, your talent, and yes, even your money that that's where you'll place your hopes and your dreams and your heart, that there will you find your identity. And if we're not careful, we will put our time, our talent, our money, we'll throw it all over as quick as we can to find our identity in something that is temporal. And then when it doesn't pan out the way we want, we're devastated. We're absolutely devastated because you're imprisoned by them. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that we would give of our time, our talent, our treasure, and we can't do it fast enough. We can't do it fast enough. We'll reroute everything. Like, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And then it doesn't matter. We're imprisoned by it. But in verse 12, in verse 12, Paul says, through faith in him, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in in him. Paul says through our faith in him, not what's seen, not your situation or your circumstance, even in your suffering and pain. Paul's in prison while he's writing this. Talk about credibility. Like, it's not like he's sitting in an office somewhere. He's like, hmm, okay, sometimes things will be hard, fellow people. No, 
Like we're talking about a guy that goes through a list of how many shipwrecks, how many times he's been beaten, how many times he's been flogged, how many times he's been imprisoned. We're talking about a guy with some serious street cred. And he says, listen, regardless of your suffering and your pain, we can have boldness and access with confidence. What's incredible is that access means freedom to move. Paul is saying, I'm in prison, but I'm free. Some of us here would say we're free, but we're really imprisoned. Perspective. Gospel perspective. Jesus earned our confidence and freedom on the cross when he laid down his life as a sacrifice to pay for your sin and my sin. You see, the gospel provides perspective. When we want to shout, hey, this is unfair. And we want to declare that our suffering is just way too much. And we need to realize that Jesus unfairly went to the cross and he suffered alone so that even in our suffering, we'd never truly be alone. And that because of Jesus, we'll never need to experience the suffering that our sin actually deserves. It's perspective. Listen, he was separated from God so that we could have access to God. And he was cast out so we could approach with confidence and freedom with boldness in his name. Verse 12, it says, we have, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. We have in the, in the main, is the main Greek verb in verse 12. And it's in the present active tense. So what that means is right now and from now on. So tomorrow it will be right now. Like in every moment. So right now, right now, right now. What if I just did that for the rest of the message? <laughs> right now, right now. How about now? Yes, now. <laughs> anyway, it means every moment until forever. As Christ followers, we can have boldness and access with confidence to God. We take this for granted in our Western culture. To the Jews that were reading this for the first time, it meant no more mediator. It meant for the first time in history, they didn't need a priest, no more sacrifices, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and he was the great high priest. He was their mediator. And so now because of Jesus, to the, to the Jewish people that understood, they're saying, you mean I can have direct access to God? And Paul's like, yeah. And to the Gentiles, he's saying, listen, even though you've been on the outside looking in for the first time in history because of the person and work of Jesus on the cross, you can have direct access to God. You don't have to be on the outer court. You're not a lesser human being. And listen, women, children, you matter too. This is huge. It's huge. We can have access to God because of the person and work of Jesus. And I think we just, we take that for granted. We take it for granted. Like, how often do we, do we lean in into access to God and, and pray and intercede and declare, God, you need to do a work in my life over my children, for my parents, whatever it might be. Do you see the implications? If we put it all together, I know we've covered a lot of ground in different directions on some level, but if we put it all together, people cannot experience the fullness of life that God intended unless they are immersed in a gospel-centered, life-giving church. They cannot experience the fullness of life God intended unless they're immersed in a gospel-centered church. If you say, oh, I can be a Christian and not attend, or I can simply attend as a consumer. I just show up and kind of get what I want and go about my day. 
then I'm telling you, you're missing it. That's not following Jesus. That's attending an experience. Is that okay for a season? But God's calling you deeper. He's calling you deeper for your joy, for your joy. I want to tell you, everybody wins when people get in the game, when people lean in and say, listen, I want to live my only life for the furtherance of the gospel. I want to make disciples. I want the decision-making grid of my one and only life to further God's mission. Individuals need churches. They need to walk together following Jesus. And listen, communities, this community and surrounding communities, they need to see a gospel-centered church in action because it reveals God's wisdom. It causes the world to take notice. You might sit there and go, oh yeah, now I hear you. I tried that once. Churches are messy. People are mean. Like, what? You're kidding. Yeah, the problem with church is no matter which church you go to, there's people there. You know, Paul knows churches aren't perfect. He knows that. You know, I always find it interesting and somewhat frustrating when people are like, listen, why can't we just return to the New Testament church? That's what we need. We need to just return to the New Testament church. I mean, they understood things, did they? I think you need to study your Bible a little more. Have you read Corinthians? The church in Corinth was jacked up. Like dudes sleeping with their mother-in-laws messed up. Like, messed up. You're like, well, well, not that part of the New Testament church. Okay, read Colossians, read Ephesians, read any church letter that Paul wrote. Paul knows churches are jacked up because we're messed up. But he's saying, listen, it's in the messy. It's in the moment where we say, listen, I'm not perfect, but I'm looking to the cross. The in our messiness, the church has always been messy and yet amazingly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. You know why? It's not our idea. It's God's idea. It's God's idea in his wisdom, in his multi-sided wisdom. He created an opportunity to gather people of all different walks of life that they could stare at the beauty of the cross and be forever transformed. That they would link arms and live on mission together. That they would meet the needs of one another and reach out to the world that they're surrounded by. We're a spiritual family walking together in unity. And families can get messy. I mean, we're all a part of one on some level, or we don't like to talk about our family because of how messy they are. <laughs> so we're a spiritual family, walking together in unity, learning to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus sums it up in John 13, verses 34 through 35. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Unity. The world will take notice on how we love one another. You know, I, um, I started the, uh, the talk today I'm talking about baseball. It's only fitting that I conclude it with that. I um, ultimately ended up having to have Tommy John surgery, which is a, a UCL repair from all my years of baseball. And uh, the time that I had it, it was in February, and uh, all three of the kids were pretty young, and uh, I was just 
so devastated. I was devastated by the timing of it. I was devastated by the journey of it. But more than anything, with, with a, our youngest being so young, I couldn't pick him up and I couldn't hold the other ones. And, and so my wife was just kind of running ragged, you know, caring for the kids with not much help from me. And I re- remember just thinking, oh my goodness, I can't even shovel the driveway. And my wife is more than capable of shoveling and loves to do it, in fact. But anytime she would go out there and shovel, I would just be like, I, I should be helping somehow. Like I can't even help her. I was so, so, so frustrated. And one day I, I get a text from my neighbor. <laughs> he texts me, he goes, hey, some old guy's shoveling your driveway. <laughs> like, what? And so I look out and sure enough, there's a guy out there shoveling our driveway. Someone from our church who lived about 20 minutes away after a really significant snowstorm. I lived in the Syracuse area. It was significant. Hopped in his car and drove some 20 minutes and he's out there and he's shoveling my driveway. Huh, getting a little emotional about it. I was so frustrated that I couldn't be out there, that I couldn't help in any way. And there he is shoveling. I was just like, that's incredible. And so my neighbor texts me again and says, is, that's not your dad, is it? And I said, no, he's, he's a guy from my church. And he goes, oh, he's really old. Is he gonna die? <laughs> I was like, I hope not. I was so moved that he was willing to do such a simple act. But what was more moving than that is that I was trying so hard to invite my neighbor to come to church. And he had a million reasons why he just would never grace the door of a church. But it was shortly after he experienced that that he ultimately came and visited. He was so moved and blown away. It was like this simple act literally communicated the truth of the gospel to this unbelieving person. Like he couldn't believe, like you guys are like really, like you take care of each other. Yeah, we do. The world takes notice on how we love one another because our world says, look out for number one, put your head down. And here's the deal. If you're on my block or if you're in my circle or if you're part of my team or or if you're part of my kid's team or whatever, then we'll care for each other. But it's these little pockets. Nothing connects us like the church, where all these different pockets and all these different spheres of influence come together and say, yeah, but we're all together for one true thing, the gospel. It's counterintuitive. It's a testimony to the world we live in. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so I want us to be challenged by this. I want you to consider this question and ask yourself this as we respond in worship in just a couple moments. The question is this. How will I bless someone connected to Centerway this week? How will I bless someone connected to Centerway this week? How is it that we can take this charge and say, you know what? How are we loving one another? How are we loving one another? And I want to tell you, we have a very grace-filled, loving, happy church. We love to laugh together. We have a lot of fun. We have a lot of jokes and, and we really enjoy life together but I want us to to ramp it up a little bit and to consider how do we apply this text? How can we bless someone connected to Centerway this week as a testimony of who we are together? If you would just bow your heads for a moment as the worship team makes their way up, I wanna walk us through some potential applications. Maybe you're in the room today and you say, listen, I'm not really part of this family. I'm on the outside kind of looking in. I attend, I check the box, but... I don't know that I'm really following Jesus. 
I want to challenge you to consider that maybe today is time to cross that line of salvation. To remove yourself from the, the throne room of your own life. To ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And it can be as simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner, asking him to forgive your sins and come and be the Lord and leader of your life. You can pray that prayer right now in the quietness of your mind. Some variation of it in whatever words you want. If you're not here in the room with us, you're watching or listening afterwards, I want to encourage you, if you're praying that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you, either by email or reach out through our website. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps. But if you're here in this room with us, I want to challenge you to take a next step. If you're praying that prayer and you'd like to know what is next for you, you can see Eric at the next steps area out in the lobby afterwards. We'd love to walk alongside you so it's not just an emotional decision. For others of us that are already part of the spiritual family, maybe this looks like blessing someone with a note of encouragement. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend like dollars. I'm not challenging you to go like buy stuff for everybody in Centerway or anything like that. Maybe it just means a note of encouragement. Maybe it means just taking some time of your life to say, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just bless them and I'm gonna let them know how much I appreciate or love them. Maybe it means meeting a need. Maybe it means meeting a need that might be super obvious or maybe not so obvious. I don't know what it is, but I'm confident that the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now and challenging you. And if you're sitting there saying, I just, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know what that looks like. Then I want to encourage you to pray for opportunity. To pray for opportunity that God would make it obvious to you this week what it is that you need to do. And for, for those of you that are out there that listen, I, I do that all the time. I'm looking for opportunities to bless people connected to this church. We love one another and I continue to do whatever I can as we link arms. Then I want to challenge you to maybe talk to those that are far from God about the things that you have experienced, that you would literally turn this into a missional activity where you talk to maybe your neighbors, your friends, your family, the people that are far from God, that are broken and hurting and they feel alone. You could say, I'm just so grateful that in the midst of some of the darkest moments of my life, my church was there. Not because we're perfect, because we're not, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it doesn't have to be some theological conversation. It can just simply be the beginning of, of a story that is your life that you share with someone that's far from God that's just seeking for a place of love and belonging. They want peace so bad. They want to make sense of their one and only life. We have the answer. So contemplate what it looks like for you. I'm going to close this in prayer and then we're going to respond in worship as we consider that which Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that the church isn't about creating some attractional environment that it just gathers a crowd of strangers to be entertained and then everyone disperses. But I'm grateful that this is about a community of people doing life together. That we have the opportunity to link arms to turn the gospel light on in one, another li one another's lives, to, to be iron sharpening iron, to say the difficult things when it's time to say difficult things and to love one another through it all because of who you are and what you've done. And so we simply declare ourselves available and we worship you, we praise you, we thank you that we get to be a part of what it is that you're doing, your idea, the local church.
your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
you know, Paul starts verse eight. He says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. You might say, we're talking about the apostle Paul. I mean, are you serious? You're the least of all saints? You gotta realize that I can't, I can't begin to, to imagine the depth of what Paul felt. Scripture tells us that the first martyr, the first person that was killed for Jesus because of his belief in Christ, the first person, his name was Stephen. And at that point, the people that stoned him to death for his belief in Christ, they threw their cloaks on a pile and there was somebody that was charged to watch their clothing as they murdered this man. And that was Paul, known then by the name Saul. And I get emotional because I think we come to this place and I think that it's lost on us what it is that God has called us to do. There was no center way four years ago. But God has brought you as imperfect as you are to be the group of people that he has ordained. He's brought you together. Don't minimize that. Don't minimize that. Don't marginalize it. It's a lie from the pit of hell to say like, oh, I just attend center way. No, he's gathering a group of people that are the least of all the saints. We're all broken. We're all a mess. And yet God is saying, no, would you come and build? Would you come to this place? Would you be a beacon of hope? And when we sing that song, generations and generations, that there will be people a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, they'll walk through the doors of a church called Centerway because you gave of yourself. Because if you gave of your time and your talent and your treasure, not because you were perfect, but you were the least of saints, right? That's not small. What we're doing is, is significant. The church is God's idea. This is God's idea. And we get to be a part of it. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I'm grateful that we get to do it with you guys. And I can't wait to see who God will bring next as this community of people that link arms together continues to grow and grow and go to further the gospel. And so I want us to end in a, in a unique way. There are some of us that are, that are just going through difficult things, difficult things. We're talking about suffering and pain and and we're also talking about the church and how ridiculous would it be to say, all right, so let's go. Don't forget to love one another. Now leave. <laughs> so this is what I want us to do. I want us to do something rather uncomfortable and so you don't have to participate if you don't want to. But um, if you're going through something and you'd like prayer, um, in a moment, uh, I want you to consider this because I know some of your knee-jerk reaction will be like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. <laughs> But in a moment, I'm gonna ask you if you would, if you're comfortable, just to raise your hand. And what I'm gonna ask, just so you're fully aware, is I'm gonna ask the people near you would just put, put their hand on your shoulder. And I'm just gonna lead us in prayer for you. Nobody's gonna know what you're going through. Nobody's gonna ask you why you need prayer. No one's gonna assume anything, except that there are people here that are going through stuff, that are hurting, and we're the church. And so we love you, and we wanna pray for you, and we wanna believe that God's gonna intervene and do a work that only he can do. And so that you can leave this place being like, man, people, they've got my back. And so 
if that's you, if you'd like prayer for anything, you just slip up your hand right now and we'll just have people come to you and place their hand on you. Anybody? Okay, thanks. There's some people just don't miss anybody. Just crowd around anybody. There's some hands going up. And if there's more, you just slip your hand up. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. We all need prayer for something. So if that's you, we just want to agree with you. Just make sure that nobody's missing as I lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're so grateful that we don't have to do life alone. If we choose it, then we choose it, but that's on us, God. You, you've called us to do life together in the messy, in the hard, with, street, with, with tears streaming down our face, we can declare, but I'm not alone. God's walking through this season with me and I have my brothers and my sisters and they're walking alongside me. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would do a work that only you can do. You understand the hurt. You know the suffering. You know the pain. You know the difficulty. You know the lies of the enemy, the lies that we speak to ourselves, the lies that other people speak on us. And, Lord, I just rebuke that in Jesus' name. And I pray for life to be released. I pray for peace and joy and hope to fill the lives of those with their hands raised. God, that you would be a healing, healing God. That you would do a work that only you can do. And that the narrative of our story would proclaim the truth and the redemptive work of your gospel. So we pray for our brothers and our sisters, Lord. Those that are joining online, Father, that are maybe lifting their hands as as they drive. Or as they sit in their home. Would you do a work? Would you meet them there? They would see a glimpse of heaven on earth, this community that you created, you call church. In your name we pray all these things. Everyone said, amen, amen. If you need prayer for anything and you'd like to talk to me about it, I'd love to pray for you specifically. I'll remain up here if you'd like and the worship team will continue to play and you can remain in this room if you'd like to worship or pray or whatever it is that you'd like to do. If you want to know next steps or take next steps, Eric's out there and he'd love to walk you through it. You're welcome to stay as as long as you like. God bless you and uh, we'll see you next week.